0: My name is John McAlevey, and I'd like to welcome you to the latest edition of the Quadcast podcast. Although this is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, it is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Think of the Quadcast as your weekly 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. My goodness, where did summer go? As I record this now on September 7, school is back in session, and there is a touch of fall in the air. I must say, I am someone who has a hard time regulating my intercoolant system due to my injury, so I am not sad at all to see those upper 90s humid days in my rearview mirror. However, I hope it doesn't get too cold too fast, because the cold weather is no friend of a quad either. If there is a zip code out there where the temperature ranges from, say, 60 to 75 degrees all year long, please email, text, or DM me because I'm going to start looking for real estate. And now on to today's program. When someone has an accident that results in a life-altering spinal cord injury, the effects are felt far and wide. Of course, the individual now in the hospital bed is the one dealing directly with the pain, loss of movement and function, sorrow, anger, guilt, etc., but they are by no means alone in this new reality. I found this out myself 29 years ago, this past August 19. As I lay in my new home at Overlook Hospital, just outside my door, family and friends were planning, discussing, commiserating, and trying to come to grips with the unfortunate situation as well. You know, as the old saying goes, bad news travels fast. Word of my situation was getting out. Early on, people wanted to help, but they weren't sure just how to. Then, about a week or two later, I recall packages began arriving at the hospital. They were filled with VCR tapes and music CDs. Google them, kids. They don't exist anymore. They were generous gifts meant to show support, as well as to hopefully take my mind off of the situation at hand. And I can think of two such instances in which they did just that. One evening, following a delicate surgery that I had to stabilize the bones in my neck, I sprung a fever, a very high one at that. So as my nurses began placing ice packs around me in the bed, my wonderful sister Susan grabbed one of those VTR tapes and threw it in the machine. And for the next hour and a half, we laughed like schoolgirls, and lo and behold, my fever had broken. God, I will never forget that night, nor that movie, which I still love to this day, Doc Hollywood. And as for those music CDs that I got, most of which came from old friend Al Caralanza, I asked one of my amazing nurses who had cared for me at the time to load 10 of them into my boombox and hit shuffle. Well, of the dozens and dozens of songs that could have played, the very first one that did was In a New York Minute from Don Henley's End of the Innocence album. The refrain from that song goes like this. In a New York minute, everything can change. In a New York minute, things can get pretty strange. In a New York minute, everything can change. In a New York minute. Wow, didn't I just find that out? Well, as the weeks rolled by, the VCR tapes and CDs led way to charity softball games, amazing fundraising events... Even the water fountains at the mall at Short Hills were drained for the change to help out on the cause. As you can see, I was lucky and completely blessed that family, friends, townspeople, even strangers were willing to go that extra mile on my behalf. My guest today, Kelly Lamb, did that, plus an extra 25.2 miles. As I've chronicled already, there are a myriad of ways to help someone who is suddenly greatly in need. And Kelly jumped in with both feet. Don't believe me? Here is how she put it in an August 20, 2020 post from the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation website's Daily Dose blog series. Quote, In the summer of 2013, my boyfriend John David and I had just graduated college, started our first jobs, and embarked on a long-distance relationship. We were beginning our adult lives and were excited for the future. In July of that year, John David sustained a spinal cord injury from diving into a shallow river, leaving him a C4 quadriplegic. We were devastated and overwhelmed. The future seemed bleak and very limited. I struggled to cope with John David's injury and the new reality of our future nearly 1,000 miles away. I was looking for any way I could tangibly contribute to his recovery. Enter Team Reeve. I watched the New York City Marathon and convinced myself I would run it for John David the following year. Full disclosure, I am not a runner. I had never completed a 5K before applying to Team Reeve, but I was committed to helping fund a cure for spinal cord injury, end quote. Following this brief public service announcement from the aforementioned Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, Kelly Lamb, Team Reeve Endurance Manager, joins me to discuss, among other things, her unforeseen career as a marathon runner, the 2021 Reeve & Run Virtual 5K, and how you can participate in it as well. So tie your shoelaces tight and grab a water bottle because we hit the road next. Did you know that one in every 50 Americans is living with some form of paralysis? The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation wants to change that. They are dedicated to discovering cures for spinal cord injury by funding innovative research and improving the quality of life and health for all people living with paralysis. Make a difference, change a life, and redefine what it means to live with paralysis by joining the Reeve Foundation today. For more information, visit ChristopherReeve.org. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Today's care, tomorrow's cure. Remember, you can always access the podcast on the following hosts Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And now it is my pleasure to welcome in Team Reeve Endurance Manager, Kelly Lamb. It's great to have you with us here, Kelly. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Okay. I usually like to begin all of my conversations on the podcast at the beginning. And so in your case, I guess that would be when you first met the man who today is your fiance, John David. So tell us, where did you two meet? Okay. Um, Yeah. So
1: JD, I call him JD for short sometimes. Um, I might vacillate between the two, but um, we met at the University of Arkansas in 2009. Um, I actually, I grew up in Kansas City, and so Arkansas really wasn't on my radar. I thought I'd end up um, at a big East school. I was a a big basketball fan, um, but somehow managed to find my way down to the SEC. um, And JD, he grew up in Little Rock, so he'd always dreamed of going to Arkansas and um, so yeah, we met actually the day before class started, um, our freshman year of college. Um, and we became best friends through, through our other friends. Um, I actually dated his best friend. He dated one of my sorority sisters. Um, and, and then kind of by the end of college, we realized why we had been such good friends and that there were, there was a little more there than friendship.
0: So a couple of Razorbacks.
1: Exactly. Oh
0: wow. Um, well, I heard you mention Big East. I am a Providence College graduate, and we're we're proud members of the Big East. So, you're a uh, you were a Big East basketball fan, was it?
1: I was. So I grew up, um, and my uncle John spent most of his career coaching under John Calipari. So wow. Um, when I was very little, he was at UMass at the very beginning, um, and my mom was a Kansas Jayhawk. So oh um, wow. Grew up obsessed with basketball. Football is not even on my radar. But then of course I, I went to the south and and football is king down there.
0: Yeah, well but you also had 40 minutes of hell down there with with Nolan we Richardson. We sure
1: did. Yeah, Nolan and then um we had actually Mike Anderson who was under Nolan when um they won the national championship became the head basketball coach when I was down there. So that was a lot of fun to kind of go back to that era of basketball for the
0: Razorbacks. No doubt. Hey, why don't we just turn this into a College Hoops podcast? Because (laughs) (laughs) I actually, this is a funny story, Kelly. I can no longer hold a basketball, let alone dribble one, but I've been coaching basketball um, at the eighth grade level and also freshman basketball here uh, in New Jersey for the better part of the last 21 years.
1: That's awesome. I love it. I can tell you, I think basketball is probably one of the hardest sports because I. I don't have the best hand-eye coordination um, that it requires.
0: All right. But it's in the blood. So I like to hear that, the whole rock, chalk, Jayhawk and all of that, Arkansas. So let's go back to those Arkansas days when you first met John. Uh, Tell us about him in school. And and, you know what were some things that you guys liked to do when you were uh, out around campus? Sure.
1: So we got to know each other really well because we were both super involved in on-campus organizations. Um, We were really active in our Greek organizations, and then that kind of just led to other involvement throughout the campus. Um, He was super well-liked, and um, he was a finance major with uh, an emphasis in real estate. Um, And at the U of A, we have the Walton College of Business, so it's Walmart, so it's a really big business college. Um, And he he just... um, was so friendly and outgoing and, you know, always saw him at parties. And like I said, um, he was just kind of everyone's friend.
0: Sure. And did you start to think, you know, towards the end um, of your uh, four years at school that this might be something that could be, you know, a lifelong thing for the two of you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think what was so funny and I'm talking about it today is um, we, we were never single at the same time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it funny. was, um, we were always dating someone and, and, you know, and then someone might bring up and then start dating someone else. And so I had convinced myself that, you know, he was just my best friend and, and I thought of him as my brother. And, and when my other best friends who were really good friends with Jada were like that is, so false, <laughs>
0: and, you
1: know, they, they could read the chemistry between us that like, I wasn't necessarily acknowledging. Um, so then, you know, when we got to the end of our senior year, you know, we had realized the reason why we had been so close for, for four years was probably because there was more there than
0: just friendship. Sure, sure. And now after graduation, I see that you moved to the big city of Manhattan, New York. Where was John David living at the time? And was it hard maintaining a long distance relationship?
1: I did. So um, I actually moved to New York right after I graduated, got my job very quickly. They asked if I could start basically the following week, um, and then JD, he stayed in Fayetteville, which is where we were living college for college, because um, he had already been working in his full-time position with a commercial real estate broker. So okay. he was doing his um, dream job. We actually, at that moment, um, we hadn't like officially started a relationship, but you know, we were talking every day, even after I moved to the city. So it was just a matter of time before we felt like things were going to go that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. And so uh, now I hate to bring up the the story, but how and when did you first hear about John David's injury? Um, And what exactly is his injury? And what were your initial thoughts when you heard?
1: Sure. So um, JD was injured Fourth of July weekend um, in 2013. This was actually on July 6th. And he had gone on a float trip. With some friends, which is super common in Northwest Arkansas, we have we do a lot of outdoor activities. Um, whether it's hiking, we've got beautiful rivers to float on, um, and so they went on a float trip. The water level had been pretty low because we'd had a dry spring. Um, they didn't realize that at the time, and then towards the end of this particular river, there's about a 20 foot footbridge that people can cross over on top that that goes over the the river. Um, And people will often drag their rafts off right there and they'll swim or um, they'll jump off the bridge into the water. And so J.D. and one of his best friends went up to the bridge um, and went to jump off. And, you know, J.D. is, he would tell you as a kid, he was always that kid when they said, don't dive, he dove. So just instinctually last minute he dove instead of jumping. Um and I think I can't remember the exact height of the water level, but it it was pretty shallow. It ended up only being like four or five feet. Hmm. Um and so he dove in um and he hit his head on the bottom on a of quite a large rock on the river and um he was paralyzed on the spot. Um but you know we were very fortunate in the regard that Um, Just by chance, there was an off-duty paramedic who was floating um, nearby Um, and he watched John David dive in and he knew kind of instantly like, oh, this is bad. Something went wrong. Whereas, you know, there have been scenarios like that in the past where, you know, your your friends just think you're playing around and that's why you're not surfacing. So he was actually the one that went over to John David in the water and, and, pulled him up, turned him over and stabilized him in the water um, so that he could breathe and that he, he didn't drown.
0: You know something, um, this is going to sound funny, Kelly, not to interrupt, but for for such an unlucky thing to have happened to John David at that moment, something really lucky it sounds like happened that that off-duty, um, you know, first aid person was there and, and knew what to Absolutely. do. I had a friend in high school that uh, it was senior cut day in high school and they went down to the Jersey Shore and, you know, who's having a couple of drinks. Somebody decides to dive in the water and it was like two feet deep. You couldn't tell. And the poor girl had a spinal cord injury and, you know, trying to get her back to shore. I don't think the kids knew what they were doing and whether they dropped her. And it was just a bad situation. But this sounds like, um, you know, that was a stroke of luck.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely a huge blessing. And even after the fact, you know, they did a news story on it eventually and and we tried to figure out who the person was, um, but never did. But yeah, we, we were so thankful because obviously they were an expert and, and realized, you know, I need to stabilize his neck to some degree, um, in the water to hopefully not further his injury. Um, but so they, they got him out of the water, the paramedics arrived, um, and then they took him to a local hospital. They were actually in Southwest Missouri, right across the, um, Arkansas state line. And that hospital wasn't equipped to do trauma surgery. So, um, that's when I got the call from John David. I was in New York. Um, I was actually, <laughs> I always tell people this cause it's, you know, I, I thought I was living the dream and I always tell people, you know, like what you see on social media is, is not what people are actually experiencing. I, I had been invited out to the Hamptons that weekend and, um, just by a friend of a friend and we, we were staying in this really nice house and I was just like, wow, this is so crazy. And you know, it's my first couple of weeks in New York and I think I was very bright eyed and I was like, wow, is this (laughs) what my time in New York is going to be like, um, And then I, I get this devastating call and it it was actually from John David. So he called his mom and then he called me um, and he let me know um, this was in Joplin, Missouri. He said, you know, I broke my neck, I'm paralyzed. And um, I think this, I also tell the story because it just speaks to John David and his friends and you know how much they can poke at each other. And I was like, you're going to be okay. He's like, no, Kelly, like, I'm never going to walk again. Like my neck is broken. And his friend, Russell, in the background said, well, you're not going to walk again with that kind of attitude. (laughs)
0: Uh, (laughs) Even in
1: the midst of like all this trauma, like his friends were still there, like, you know, trying to joke with him and give him a hard time. But um, so from Joplin, he was life flooded to Little Rock, which is where our trauma center is in the state. Um, And then they had a team of surgeons do his surgery. He's a C4 incomplete. Mm -hmm. Um, and they did a phenomenal job on his surgery. Um, and then from there, I think he spent about a week in Little Rock. Um, and then that opened up at Shepherd Center in Atlanta. Um, and that is where, yeah, he, um, he was very fortunate. I, it was probably too soon though for us. We, we, you don't know what you don't know. And so, so often with these acute rehab facilities, Um, The space is so limited that they're like, you know, jump on it if if a bed opens up. And at that time, you know, his his injury and spine still hadn't even stopped swelling. So we didn't know what his function level was going to look like. Um, And so all we were being told was go. It's a great, phenomenal uh, facility, which it absolutely is. Um, So we went down there and they took a medical jet. And as soon as they landed the jet, um he actually coded oh, um grief. we don't know if it was <clears throat> from the pressurized cabin um so he actually spent about half of his rehab time in the ICU at Shepherd which again they were from phenomenal and and they took wonderful care of him um but if we could have gone back and and done it all over we would have let him stabilize at home a little bit longer
0: yeah pause it um, a little bit
1: yeah but again you, you don't know what you don't know and mm-hmm. um so when he actually got down to Shepherd and they they first evaluated him on the Asia scale, they actually told him that he was in Asia A complete um, because they they couldn't see his his spinal cord hanging on. Um, and then I think it was about eight eight weeks after he had um, been there, you know, they were getting ready to give him his discharge date, which was upsetting because it was you know we wanted more time and we hadn't seen a lot of improvement um and sure enough as as soon as they gave him his discharge state, it seemed like the next day he turned one of his arms over awesome. um yeah and so they're like okay let's let's reevaluate this and so they took some scans um and you know they redid his asia test and reevaluated them to an asia b incomplete um and his spinal cord was just Barely hanging on mm. um, by a thread, but you know it, it's. I think people often get um, in a bad place of evaluating whether their injury is complete or incomplete. Yeah. When, like you and I talked about before this podcast, no two injuries are the same. So you know we've we've seen individuals with complete injuries that have regained function, and and doctors kind of scratch their heads and say, "I don't know how that is," but. Um, the the spinal column is, is really remarkable.
0: It is. It certainly is. Kelly, in my introduction, I chronicled how family, friends, um, and townsfolk really pitched in in a variety of different ways to help in my recovery. Initially, how does a non runner like yourself decide to become a marathoner as their way of helping out?
1: Well, I knew, um, JD is just so loved and supported. A we both have massive families, um, but our friend group is, is really phenomenal and we're still all very close from college. So um, I knew whatever we were going to do, they were going to get behind it before JD even got out of Shepherd Center. They had thrown together this big fundraiser and had to, held this party in his honor to, to raise money for medical expenses, which his family didn't ask for. And, you know, they, they just did it out of the kindness of their hearts. And so um, what really, and got me to do the fundraiser was i was living in new york um john david he really wanted me to stay i'd always wanted to live in in the city even if it was just temporarily just a few years um kind of like check that off my bucket list sure Um, absolutely and but i was i was really having a tough transition i honestly think he was doing better than i was um i was just very depressed i was sad with what i thought was going to be our new reality um here we were 22 and 23 years old and you know basically we thought the world was our oyster and then we had this very tragic event um, and and very swift change of life circumstances and so um i had lived on the upper east side and i i watched the marathon run past my apartment that year in 2013 and the day before I went and saw the finish line and I had just joked, I was like, Oh, I'm going to cross this next year. And so then I watched it on Sunday and I, I just was so inspired by everyone that was running for charity um, or people hand cycling or doing push rim. And I was just like, I'm going to do this. I, I know that this will get me out of my apartment. I can find a way to channel my energy. And so um, after the marathon, I went and I looked up the teams cause I am not an athlete. Right. I don't enjoy running. So I was like, I'm not going to be able to run a marathon just for the sheer will of running mm-hmm. a marathon. It's like, I'm. it's going to have to be for JD. And I, I wanted it to be for a cause that, you know, can make a, a tangible contribution to his recovery. And so I found Team even It was perfect. Um, I applied and the rest was kind of history. I our fundraising minimum in New York is, is $4,000. And so I was a little hesitant. I was like, mm, that's a lot of money. I've never fundraised on my own before. But right. you know, at the end of the day, I was like, mm, my grandmother will write me a check. T- <laughs> <laughs> she has to. I was like, she's very charitable. Um, Come on, Nanak,
0: break out the checkbook.
1: But I, I was blown away that first year um, when we raised over 12000 for Team Rave. Um, and then, you know, I... I loved finishing the marathon. I didn't love running it, but it was a really emotional experience um, to do it for John David and, um, to, you know, just the commitment of training for a marathon, um, I think.
0: Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you. You sort of kind of glossed over that. But as someone who was a fitness freak before I had my accident, I know that deciding to run and then actually following through with it are two different things. So how much work mentally and physically went into your becoming a long distance runner? And is there any one person in particular who helped you along the way mostly?
1: Sure. Um, I think when it comes to long distance running, it's much more of a mental, um, challenge than physical. And I I feel like most runners would probably agree with me. Um, the hardest part is, is getting out the door each morning. Um, and so that for me was really the challenge, especially because, um, my job at the time was really demanding and I, I didn't have a lot of time to run during the week. And so kind of. Hinged on all of my running being done on the weekends and doing these really long, like 15, 18 mile runs as, as we move the mileage up. But, um, definitely number one cheerleader was, um, our team race coach who's, who's Mark Z- Mark's Zenobia. Um, and he's coached team rave for 16 years. Um, he's been in the race industry for over 30. Um, he's a New Jersey boy in North Carolina now, but it's just a phenomenal human. And um, not only did he help me with the fundraising side of it, but he helped me with the running side of it and and the mental aspects of it, because um, for me, it was just really getting out the door, like getting myself to get up out of bed and just put one foot in front of the other. Um, Didn't matter how fast I was. It was just literally and figuratively, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I, because you mentioned mentally, think about it. At any time, like when you're really hurting or when you're uh, you're sucking wind out there, you could just stop. You could just stop, and it's your mind mm-hmm. that would make you stop. It might not be physically. Your legs and and whatnot can probably still take that next step, but you could just say, you know, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And, uh, and to be able to continue on with that is amazing. So, okay. Now all of your training is done. When was your first official marathon and just exactly how did that 26.2 mile trek go for you?
1: So it was in November of 2014. Um, and it had been, we had had just idyllic training weather all season, like the three months leading up to it. Summer wasn't too hot. Fall was beautiful. Day before the marathon, it was 70 degrees, and then the morning of the marathon was the coldest day of the year we had had, and the high was 30, 35 degrees, and we had 30 mile headwinds Oh my um, gosh! And I, I had trained in a tank top and spandex like shorts the whole time. Uh, again, a lot of athletes like will very much get in their heads, like, well, this is what I trained in, this is what I have to run in, and I kind of had that same mindset. So, um, on the you start on the Verasano bridge. And so I, I got down, I like had taken my pajama pants. Cause you, you put on layers that you can just toss and then they, um, the race volunteers will pick them up after everybody runs through and they will donate all of the discarded clothing to charity. Um, and so I had my shorts on and then I had like three layers on top. And then slowly as I warmed up, I just, I started shedding layers and, I mean by mile five I was I was down in my tank top and my shorts and I just kept on a earmuff and gloves the whole time and, and I was really quite comfortable. The wind got us a few times. The bridge was definitely a little brutal. Um some of us smaller women were kinda getting blown all over the place. <laughs> um, but it was it was kind of an epic race to have the first one be so crazy. Um but it was such a it was a great race. I really I was so nervous because I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like if I can actually finish this, I don't know if my body is capable of completing 26 miles because, you know, before you do a marathon, most people the the longest distance they ever run before their first marathon is 18 to 20 miles. And I think I had only gone up to 17 just because of, again, the circumstances with work. Um, and coach Mark was like, you can do it. I promise you can do it. Like the, the crowd, your adrenaline is, is going to carry you. Um, and I was shocked. I actually finished it. I was proud. I finished it in under five hours for that first marathon. Um, and, you know, my goal that day was, was just to finish it and, and to see JD on the course. And um, it was kind of, it was a milestone for both of us. That was um, his first trip on a plane. That was his first trip period after his injury. Um, and, and right before that, he had just been hospitalized for a month with pneumonia. So it was very much um, pulling the bandaid off the injury and saying, like, okay, we can we can still travel, we can we can still do um, all these things that we want to, just in a modified way.
0: Sure. Now, Kelly, are you familiar with Rosie Ruiz? Does that name ring a bell? I'm not. Okay. Well. Rosie Ruiz. It was famous for uh, running, or so they thought, the nineteen hundred and eighty Boston Marathon. And it turned out that she sort of snuck onto the course towards the end and and ran through and became the women's oh. champion. <laughs> so I was wondering if there was ever a time you wanted to do pull a Rosie Ruiz on one of these things and just hop on. And she was actually declared the winner for a couple of days before they found out that she uh, snuck onto the course. But uh, I digress a little bit, a little humor there. And so, how about today? now, how many marathons have you completed? And most importantly, how much money have you and Team Reeve been able to raise?
1: Um, So I've done six today. So I ended up doing five or six marathons in five years. I doubled up with Chicago and New York one year, which was really a challenge. I I probably won't do that again. Um, And then I came on as the Team Reeve manager and 2019, I think, 2018, 2019. Um, so I haven't run a marathon since 2019. I, I really wanted to be all hands on deck this year for the team. Um, but JD and I for Team Reeve individually have raised over $100,000. And then um, Team Reeve for the foundation has raised over $7 million wow. um, since its inception. And it grows every year. That's really the exciting thing about Team Reeve is is seeing the teams grow year after year the amount of money they raise the number of participants and and then just adding on additional events um, so more community members can participate
0: well as a member of that community I want to thank yourself for getting out there and and uh, putting one foot in front of the other and also uh, the foundation for all they do on our behalf it's uh it's really amazing what uh, what they're able to accomplish and here's a side question do you ever get a chance to I've seen folks that can uh, run with their loved one who's in a wheelchair in in um some sort of a, a bicycle thing. Is there ever a yeah. chance? Do you ever run with with J D in front of you? Do you have one of those things? So um
1: it's called a duo bike and we've actually had um a team in our in twenty nineteen in New York City we had Mike Nichols and Joe Rooney. Uh Joe pushed Mike in a duo bike. Mike is from New Jersey. He was a he's a hockey player. Um, JD refuses to let me push him in. <laughs> uh. Um, but he said but well, we do hope someday, you know, he'll be able to get his own hand cycle and, and we can run side by side. Um he's in law school right now. He just started this year. So I think once we get through one L, um he might have a little more free time to get out on the road with yeah, me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well that would be great to feel the feel the air blowing through his hair sure. again, right?
1: It's great exercise, Jill.
0: It is great exercise, which brings me to my next question. The second annual Reeve Run and Roll Virtual 5K is right around the corner. Kelly, what exactly is it and who can participate?
1: Sure. So we started um, the Reeve Run and Roll last year. It's a virtual event. Um, And we did it in response to the marathons getting canceled. So we've participated in the Chicago and New York City Marathon every year. Um, and, and that was really a, a big fundraising hit to us. Um, and, you know, last year, we kind of were like, well, we don't we don't want to take a long pause. And we have research programs that need to be funded. A pandemic going on. Um, so we pivoted and we designed this virtual event. It's um, technically a 5K, but you don't have to do a 5K. Anyone can sign up. Um, if you just go to Reeve Run Roll 21 at fundraise.org. And that's fundraise with no D. Um, <clears throat> and it's free. So anyone can register. If you donate $35, or if you receive um, a total of $35 or more, you earn the re and bull shirt, which I think are really nice. It's a really soft, Um, comfortable t-shirt this year. Um, And then the idea is just to get the community members out on September 25th is when it kicks off. That's Christopher Reeve's birthday. Um, And then it'll run a week long because we want to give everybody an opportunity. We know some people observe holidays on Saturdays. Um, so just to get out with a group, um, obviously you can be socially distant and safe and doing activities. So we have some that will just go out to their park and walk. And um, there are family members that might have a mobility impairment, might hand cycle or ride in their scooter. Um, we have others. We've got a swim team that they're swimming laps. They're actually swimming a 5K the entire month of September um, and adding up their laps as the month goes on. Um, we've had people do Zumba classes. We have people horseback riding. Um, so really, it's just an opportunity for community members to get out share pictures. And then, of course, if you want to fundraise on behalf of Reeve, um, you're more than welcome to, but it's not required.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, now, do folks take photos and videos and things like that and share them? Is that, <laughs> is that sort of part yes. of the uh, part of the whole spiel?
1: Absolutely. So um, any photos or videos that you take, we'd love for you to tag at the Reeve Foundation or hashtag Reeve Run Roll 21. Um, We'll reshare anything. We can actually, if you build a team, um, we can share your link and and try and direct more individuals to your link. If you're you're looking for more people that want to participate with you um, in your area, it's just, again, it's another opportunity just to get out. We've all been, you know, it's been a crazy year and a half and um, very limited with what we can do, um, so we just want to encourage community engagement wherever we can.
0: Yeah. Now, Kelly, where are you based right now? Um, have you And have you ever had the opportunity to come if, if I don't know, if you, are you on the East Coast still?
1: I'm not, so I actually, in 2017, I left New York and I moved back to Arkansas, so um, my fiancé and I live in the capital around Little Rock, Arkansas.
0: Okay, okay, because I was going to say... But I
1: come back to the East Coast all the time. Um, I actually, I'll be there in November for the New York City Marathon.
0: Well, you're welcome here in the Garden State anytime. Uh, we, we love I to will have be there. you. I
1: always, I, you know, the office is in Short Hills, so I, I always love to make a visit.
0: And you know what's crazy? I grew up and lived for uh, 48 of my years on God's green earth in Short Hills, so I am very familiar no way. with it. Yeah, I'm sure I could, I could could, back when I could throw, if I were able to throw a rock, I could probably hit the uh, the reef foundation building. And so, um, well, yeah, you're
1: always welcome to the office. Yeah,
0: but I wondered, in your time here, did you ever take advantage of uh, or had the opportunity to walk in Eric Legrand's fundraising event that they have down at Rutgers University?
1: So I haven't been able to go there um, in person, but I have um, walked the last two years virtually. So, okay. Um, yeah. And Eric is phenomenal. I love Eric. I, um, I met Eric even before I started working for the foundation. I actually, I got to attend the Reed Gala one year, um, that he was being honored and, and we hit it off and we've done speaking engagements together in the city. And, and I, his birthday was just a couple of days ago. He's, he's really a, phenomenal human being, and he does so much for the New Jersey community.
0: Eric is the best, and as great as he is, his mom is a star.
1: Oh, Karen is... Is a yeah.
0: star. I adore Karen. She's great, and I heard you drop Mikey Nichols' name before. He, he, both yes. he and Eric have uh, have appeared here on uh, on the Quadcast because I've known those guys. Oh gosh, a hundred years now. We've known each other. So well, Kelly, why don't you tell our listeners again where they can find out more about the event, and then also again what the goal is to try and raise this year? Sure.
1: So the event, if you want to sign up or register, it is Reeve Run roll twenty one dot fundraise without a d dot org um, and there's a register button there right on the page. Last year we raised a little over three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars and we had about nine hundred participants. So of course we're increasing our goal this year and we're hoping to raise four hundred thousand um, and to exceed a thousand participants. Um, and we've already got some really awesome teams formed that have just and going at it at the fundraising.
0: That's terrific. And I guess, lastly, why don't you tell me and, and our listeners about, um, how John David is doing today, what he's up to. And then, um, you know, now that you guys are engaged, what, uh, what the future looks like for you too.
1: Sure. Well, um, he's, he's doing great, better than ever. Um, we had a few rough years, um, Few years ago, right before COVID hit, he actually had a pressure sore that that kept him bedbound for two years. Um, and then, right as we were um, starting to get him back up in his chair and reintroducing him to the world and going to dinner with our friends, that was when the pandemic hit. Uh. Honestly, it was it, it was challenging, but for us, we had already had so much practice at social isol- isolation that it, it really wasn't a big change for us. um, He's been good. He's been without a pressure sore, which has been so wonderful and and can be, you know, so hard for so many individuals with paralysis. And um, last December, he he said, I think I might want to go to law school. So he studied for the LSAT for about a month. He took the LSAT, did an amazing job. And, And here we are in September, and he is in his third week of law school here in Little Rock. Um, and I'm, I'm just really proud of him. He, You know, he does a lot and, you know, doesn't have the necessarily the same function that an able-bodied person does, but, um, he's pretty remarkable at, at finding a way to get it done.
0: That is awesome. And I want you to please send, uh, send my well wishes to him, um, and what he's doing because I, I you know. After my injury, I don't think that I was happy that I had graduated from college, um, you know, before I had my spill, because I, I don't know how I would be able to do schooling with trying to take notes and to listen and to, you know, do papers and stuff like that. I, I just think it would be so, so hard. And so my hat's off to folks sure. that are that are back in school uh, post-injury like that. And last question for me, what is next for the Reef Foundation as far as um, what you're doing as the team endurance uh, folks?
1: yeah so um obviously like i said we do chicago and new york every year the rerun and roll has been such a success success that we want to keep going that and then i really i have my my eyes on i i would like to get our teams back into boston and london um and then you know wherever we can add events that are accessible to all community members obviously um we don't want it to just be individuals that can run or hand cycle or push around but um, that's really kind of the beauty of the run and roll is that anyone can participate from any anywhere in the world.
0: Absolutely, it's a small world nowadays, right? It sure is. That's what they say. Well, Kelly Lamb from the Reeve Foundation, I want to thank you, uh, as I did a little bit earlier, on all you do uh, for the community. Um, and being a part of that community, I benefit from that and also the foundation, what they do with not only you know these marathons that they do, but I can't tell you a day doesn't go by where I don't get two and three and four emails from the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation with um, exciting news and things that I should be uh, kept aware of as someone who has uh, unfortunately had a spinal cord injury. And so I want to thank you for all of that. And I really appreciate you coming on with me today. It was my pleasure to have you on the quadcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me and and just giving us the time and um, letting us share a little more about what the Reeve Foundation is doing.
0: You know, after learning all that I did this afternoon, I just might put a team of walkers together for the Reeve Run and Roll event myself. So stay tuned, Kelly. Special thanks again to Julia Leonard, Marketing and Communications Assistant with the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. When I put this podcast together all by my lonesome last year and began recording actual episodes, I had no idea how it would sound or would be received. The answer to those questions has turned out to be really good and well. The problem is that since I am a veritable nobody, reaching out for and landing big-time guests is not easy. I have touched base with a few big people in the last couple of weeks, and I am waiting to hear back. As they say, Rome wasn't built in a day, so hang in there with the kid, cause good things come to those who wait slash listen. Many thanks to my superb mixer Chris Parapesco at Harbor Picture Company And that will do it, my friends. Until we meet again, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time.